Please open your Bibles with me to John chapter 9. John chapter 9, we're going to read the entire chapter, all 41 verses, because you can't split it up, and you wouldn't want to even if you could. So we're going to uh, read each individual word and verse. John 9, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy and inspired word. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned, or his parents, but that the works of God may be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? And he said, I do not know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, He put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him, since he has opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight, and asked them, Is this your son, whom you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son, that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opens his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time, they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? 
And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. And the man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, You were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe you. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who may see who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. May God bless this reading and our hearing of his holy word. And let us pray and ask his blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for such a wonderful gift of your word, for this dedicated time to study it, to come together. Lord, we ask that you would bless us, that this word, most likely familiar to many of us, we would not just pass over it, but that your spirit would do his work in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. Have you ever been in a situation in which it was so dark you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face? Well, I had the opportunity some years ago, we went on family vacation to the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. It's beautiful, you just go down 81, and there's all of these uh, caverns that are there, kind of these caves under the mountains. And so we went to one of them called the Grand Caverns, and it was really interesting. They told us all sorts of stories about how folks in the 1700s used to go in there, and then they would have um, these dances in the caverns. They all get dressed up and everything. We didn't, we were in normal clothes. But one thing very interesting did happen while we were there. They gathered everybody together, and they said, okay, hold on, and they shut out the lights. It was completely dark. You couldn't see a thing. You couldn't see your hand in front of your face. You didn't know which way was up, or which way was down. It was completely utter pitch darkness. You could not see a thing even if you wanted to. Everything was dark. But thankfully, they had mercy on us. They turned the lights back on. And here I am today to prove it. But have you ever been in a situation that was so dark, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face? Well, the theme of light and darkness, of day and night, is extremely important in the Gospel of John. Do you remember, when does 
Nicodemus come to see Jesus in John 3? It's at night. When is Jesus raised from the dead? Morning, daylight. Night, not so good. Morning, daylight is very good. And Jesus, in John chapter 8, has recently made the claim that he is indeed the light of the world. In John 8, 12. And see, the way that John is working is we have this statement, and we have a lot of teaching in John 8. There's a lot of discussion and division and dissension with the Pharisees and all of them. But then you get into John 9, and Jesus confirms the fact that he is indeed the light of the world. You see, this man born blind isn't just kind of any ordinary man. He is born blind. He has never seen anything. He has never even seen his hand in front of his face, whether the sun is shining or not. He is born blind. But Jesus is the one who is able to open his eyes so that he may see. So that he may see. Who else but the Messiah, the Son of God, the light of the world, can open the eyes of a man who is born blind? So this morning, what we're going to do is we'll walk through this miracle account together, and we'll look at the various elements of it. We can't look at every single thing, but we'll do our best. And then at the end, we will look at the two responses that we see to this miracle. So the first thing that we need to see is that Jesus Christ is the light of the world come in the flesh. He defines the terms of the miracle in verses 1 through 5. It defines the terms of the miracle. So if you were reading through the book of John, you obviously would go with verse with chapter 8 and then coming into chapter 9. In chapter 8, as I said before, this is when Jesus declares that he is indeed the light of the world, and then there's a lot of back and forth between him and the Pharisees. And at the end of chapter 8, right before, it's almost a violent ending, but Jesus passes right through and now in the beginning of chapter 9, he's coming back to the temple complex, and he sees this man who was born blind. In verse 2, we get down on the disciples a lot, and we do here as well, but maybe with not so good reason. So verse 2, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You say, well, okay, disciples, is that the first thing you would really want to ask when you see a man who is begging for his daily needs? Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he's born blind? Well, before we get too down on the disciples, it's actually not such a strange question for that place and time. You see, there's this prevailing belief, this prevailing opinion that if you saw misfortunes, say a physical malady such as blindness in somebody's life, that you could trace it back to some sin either in their life or in the life of a previous generation, and now that person is suffering the consequences because of that previous sin. And we see this in the Bible kind of loosely. We might see Miriam in Numbers chapter 12. She is punished with leprosy because she and Aaron contend with Moses about his leadership. Now she is healed after Moses intercedes for her, and then she is no longer leprous. And then you might think, okay, well, that's a clear sin, and then punishment, that, well, that 
kind of could make some sense, but what about the generation to generation? Well, we see that too, again, somewhat loosely. We think of the generation that goes to exile in Babylon. Were they the most wicked generation in the nation of Israel's history? No, you couldn't really make that kind of argument. But they suffer the consequences of the accumulated sin of the previous generations, and they're the ones that suffer the consequences and go into Babylon. Is that the case here? Well, we need to cut the disciples a little slack, but Jesus correctly defines the terms of the miracle. It wasn't because of this man's sin, and there was actually a belief at the time that a baby could sin in the womb and then suffer the consequences when they were born, such as blindness. But Jesus defines the terms of the miracle. He says, no, it's not because of the sin of this man or his parents or some previous generation, but what is it in verse 3? That the works of God might be displayed in him. And on top of this, blindness is its own category of punishment or of judgment. You see, blindness leaves its victims vulnerable, helpless. They are they are beggars. They can't, at this time especially, they can't learn a trade or a skill in order to fend for themselves. In Deuteronomy 28, we have a list of blessings in verses 1 through 14. Then the rest of the chapter is curses. If you obey the law, wonderful, you will be blessed. If not, well, then you will receive these punishments. And one of those punishments is blindness. In verse 28 and 29, the Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of heart. And you shall grope at noonday as a blind man gropes in darkness. But what is Jesus telling us? Telling the disciples. He can't just draw a straight line from this man's blindness to some sin previous. It is so that the works of God may be worked in him. So that God may be glorified. It's not about this man's sin or somebody else's sin. And can we apply that in our own lives as well? Sometimes we might receive uh, bad news from the doctor. Or we might have some kind of chronic physical condition, affliction. And we see, we say, okay, we have this thing. There must have been something that I did in order to deserve this. Somebody upstairs must be mad at me because of this physical malady that I'm going through. Something's got to be wrong because, guess what, I can then fix it if I was the one that caused it, if it was my sin. But guess what? Sometimes the physical malady or that chronic condition is simply a vehicle or occasion for you to give God glory. So that by your dependence and reliance upon him, he may be glorified. Just like this man born blind. Matthew Henry says this. Note, the intentions of providence commonly do not appear till a great while after the event, perhaps many years after. The sentences in the book of providence are sometimes long, and you must read a great way before you can apprehend or understand the sense of them. This man's blindness is for God's glory, 
so that Jesus may work the works of God while there is still opportunity, while it is still day before the night comes. He is the light of the world, and now he is about to demonstrate it. So Jesus now is going to give physical sight in verses 6 and 7 to this man born blind. Let's look at it. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Came back seeing. We just kind of read the sentence, get to the period, and move on to the next one. But this man was born blind. He couldn't see a thing. And now he can see. This is a unique miracle throughout all of Scripture, especially the Old Testament. It's interesting, the portion that we read in 2 Kings is kind of mixed in with a number of other miracles that Elisha performs. And a lot of those have analogies. They kind of map on to Jesus' miracles in the Gospels. Jesus' miracles are more magnificent and more majestic. They're bigger, but they have a parallel in the Old Testament. So, for example, Elisha in 2 Kings feeds a hundred men with a little bit of food to start with. He raises a little boy from the dead, resuscitates him. He also raises the axe out of the water as well. But he's never healed a man born blind. The closest we come to is what we read in 2 Kings is when he prays that his servant's eyes would be opened, the Syrians would be closed and then opened again. But clearly it is there that the Lord is the one opening the eyes and closing them. There is no parallel to Jesus' miracle here in the Old Testament. You see, sight and blindness are clearly in the purview of God. This is what Exodus 4.11 says. So the Lord said to him, Who has made the man's mouth? Or who makes the mute, the deaf, the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Psalm 146. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. It is God who is the one who opens and closes the eyes of his creatures. So Jesus makes this clay compound. He applies it to the man's eyes. The man goes to the pool of Siloam. He washes. He comes back seeing. This miracle demonstrates that Jesus Christ is, in fact, the light of the world. Because who else but the Messiah can open the eyes of a man born blind? Elisha was a great prophet, but he couldn't do it. Only Jesus, as the light of the world, the Messiah, is the one who has the power, the might, and the authority to open the eyes of a man who is born blind. And this is what he came to do. This is Isaiah 49, 6. He has come as a light. This is one of the Messianic servant songs. It says this, Indeed, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. And we'll go into the New Testament. John chapter 10. This is very interesting. 
how the people interpret Jesus healing this man born blind. So there's a little bit more discussion, conversation, dissension, division, all of that. This is John 10, 19 through 21. Therefore, there was a division again among the Jews because of these sayings, that is, Jesus' teachings. And many of them said, He has a demon and is mad. Why would you listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? No, only the Son of God, the light of the world. And just one more. At the end, right before Jesus is about to raise Lazarus from the dead in John 11, verse 37. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? It's no simple thing to open the eyes of a man who was born blind. Only the light of the world, the Son of God, the creator of the universe can open the eyes of a man born blind. This is an extremely significant miracle in the Gospel of John. It takes an entire chapter to account it. But this physical healing is indicative of a greater spiritual reality that is going on here in the Gospel of John. Dr. Vern Poitras, in his book, The Miracles of Jesus, says this, says Jesus has made it clear that physical healing is symbolic of spiritual healing from spiritual blindness. Who else but Jesus Christ, the light of the world, can open the eyes of blind sinners like you and me? Who else but he can do it? You see, left to ourselves, ever since our first parents sinned, we are blind beggars, sinners, groping about in the darkness. We are like this man, spiritually speaking. We can't see our hand in front of our face without Jesus Christ. We don't know what is up. We don't know what is down. We don't know right and left. We are like in that grand cavern. And you don't know where you are. You don't know where you're going. And you're just groping about as a blind man gropes at noonday when the sun is bright and shining. This is our spiritual condition without Jesus Christ. We are like this man born blind, but in a spiritual sense. This is what John eleven ten says. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Jesus Christ came to this world in order to shine light so that previously blind people like you and me can see, can see him for who he is, the light of the world, the Messiah, the Son of God, and see ourselves in our true spiritual condition, beggars who have nothing to offer except our need of salvation. We are just like this man. We need to turn to Jesus Christ in faith and receive the eyes of faith so that we may see him in his majestic glory as he really is, the light of the world, the Son of God, the Messiah. We're about to celebrate this in a few months, but here we go. 
The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. This is not a random quote, because later on in that chapter in Isaiah, we read this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The only cure for your spiritual blindness and for mine is faith in Jesus Christ. Only he can open your eyes. If you are going about doing your own thing, your own way, at your own time, without any regard to Christ, you are deluding yourself. And you know it. You're stumbling around in the dark. You're tripping and falling and thinking you can pick yourself back up again and then see. You need to repent of that and turn to Jesus Christ. You have nothing to offer him except your need of him. That he may give you the eyes of faith so that you may worship him and him alone. To see him as he really is, the Messiah, the Savior, the light of the world. This miracle corroborates and proves that he is who he said he is. And then we also need to look at the two responses to Jesus from this miracle. And we see the first is those who have turned a blind eye. Those who have turned a blind eye. We put the neighbors and the Pharisees in this category. Notice what they do. They interrogate this man. They say, well, no, he's not the right guy. Okay, yes, he is the right guy. Okay, well, he wasn't born blind. Well, uh, ask his parents. Yes, he was born blind. Okay, well, it occurred on the Sabbath. So the miracle, the miracle worker, Jesus, he has to be an evil man. Something has to be wrong. This guy can't be who he says he is. This man couldn't have been blind and now see. And in fact, Jesus didn't violate the fourth commandment. He just violated their man-made, non-biblical rules about the Sabbath. But you notice, even those who should have known, such as the Pharisees, they found a quote-unquote reason not to believe. They said, well, it's something's got to be wrong. We don't know what it is, but we'll just manufacture something, and then we won't believe. They just don't want to recognize Jesus for who he is. And this, the man born blind, rightly rebukes them. In verse 33, if this man, Jesus, were not from God, he could do nothing. You see, they, they want the darkness. They want to stay in the darkness. John 3.19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world, and men loved the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. Because their deeds were evil. And it is a warning to us as well. Don't we have evil deeds we love? We just we keep them. Sure, we'll, we'll do the Jesus thing, right? We'll get dressed up for Sunday morning, but we'll keep things on the side. 
that we want. We want to be king and captain of our lives. So we'll just keep that over here, and then we'll just pay lip service on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening or whatever else. But we want to keep the darkness over there, and we don't want anybody to shine the light on there, especially maybe our session or our pastor. We don't, mm -mm. nope, that side is reserved over here, and then everything else, okay, that's fair game, but not over here. Not the darkness that I love so much. The Pharisees wanted to be in control. They liked it. They didn't want the Messiah, even though they should have recognized him as such. It is a warning to us, lest we go the same way. Because what do we need? We need the eyes of faith. We need to see Jesus for who he really is. And this is how the man responds, doesn't he? He's thrown out of the gathering. Jesus goes and he finds him. And he asks him, well, who is the Son of God that I may worship him? And Jesus, in verse 37, gives us one of the clearest self-identification statements in all the Gospels. Jesus says to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. You have seen him. Here he is. The man who was previously blind now can see his Savior standing right in front of him. There he is. And what does the man do? He falls down and he worships him. Kind of added the falls down. But I think that's probably what happens because this is what Calvin says. The blind man, convinced that Jesus was the Son of God, nearly lost the command of himself and in rapturous admiration bowed down before him. Bows down before him. Put yourself in the shoes or the sandals of this blind man, or man who was formerly blind. Think about when he woke up that morning. He woke up in the morning, he maybe opened his eyelids, but nothing was there. The only reason why he knew it was no longer night is perhaps he felt the warmth of the sun on his face. He's totally, totally blind. He can't even see the hand in front of his face. And yet, this is the day when he meets Jesus. And he is totally transformed. The man who he was, identified by his blindness, he is now no longer blind. He couldn't see a thing, and now he can see his Savior. Not only can he see with his physical eyes, but he has also been given the eyes of faith, so that he may see him face to face. And what is his response? It's the only proper response, is to fall down and to worship him with his whole being now laid before Jesus Christ. That everything that he has, everything that he is, he owes to Jesus, and he puts it at his feet. And you are, and I are in the same position. We were spiritually blind. By God's grace, he has called us to himself. So how will you respond to Jesus Christ this morning? You have enough information in just the passage that we read to know that he is the light of the world, to know that as you have been walking in darkness, he is the Savior that you need. Will you worship him with your whole being, not just some, and keeping some stuff on the side in reserve for yourself, but everything that you have is at his disposal? knowing that without him, 
you would be stumbling around in the dark and not seeing a thing. You could not even see the hand in front of your face. You hold it up now and you say, well, with my physical eyes, I can see it. But without Jesus Christ, you are deceiving yourself. You can't even see your hand in front of your face, spiritually speaking. It is only because of his work in your life. Ask him to give you the eyes of faith so that you may serve him with your entire being, so that you see him as he truly is, your Savior, the light of the world. By him you see everything else. Have you ever been in a place that you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face? Repent of your sins and receive the light of Jesus Christ and see him as he truly is, your Messiah, the light, the world, the Son of God, and worship him with the eyes of faith. And then we would be able to say together the words of Isaiah 60, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious picture Jesus has given to us here in John 9. He is indeed the light of the world. His word should be enough, but he went ahead and he showed us by opening the eyes of this man born blind that he is truly the light of the world, shining light into dark eyes so that we may see. Lord, may you erase from us our spiritual blindness that we may see Jesus Christ and respond to him appropriately in rapturous admiration and hearts full of love and worship for him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.